The reading is an excerpt from Simply Pray by Eric Walker Wilkstrom. Why do people pray? What does it bring to spirituality? Is there a someone or a something that we anchor, encounter in our times of prayer? A secret something that is yearning for relationship with us? Is prayer, as Anthony Bloom says, the building of a relationship or simply an internal monologue with someone's own subconscious mind? The Buddha's answer, that is a question which does not tend toward edification. It's only a partial answer. The reason it does not tend toward education is that it distracts our concentrated energy from the truly important task before us. We want to know with whom we are engaging or whether or not there is a whom before we engage. Yet to paraphrase Episcopal priest and author Martin Bell, you cannot engage a secret and then commit. Commitment is the one and only way of engaging the secret. To use another example, you cannot find out that wet feels unless you get in the water. There is simply no way to talk about it. There is no explaining it. There is no understanding even. There is only getting wet. Similarly, you cannot talk about a meal to someone and give them the taste of the food or describe a symphony and expect them to explain the hearing of it. You cannot explain what it feels like to run on the beach and hope that their muscles will know the feeling or recite a poem about a rose with the intention that a hearer knows will smell it. You can talk, describe, explain, and recite, of course. And doing these things will impact some measure of understanding. But in order for the other person to really know what you are talking about, deeply, fully, she or he will have to experience it directly. So it is with the spiritual journey. No words can truly describe it. You must experience it for yourself. Prayer is not an easy concept in a theologically diverse community such as this one. Prayer is not an easy concept in a community such as this one where we each bring our rational mind to bear on our spirituality. We each come to this community with different beliefs in the holy, with different beliefs in God. There are many beliefs in this community about the sacred, about prayer. Francis named some of them in talking about the letter that Reverend Christopher Rabel wrote to that seven-year-old. There are people here who believe in a supernatural force in the universe. There are people here who believe in only natural forces in the universe, but still choose to call them God. There are people here who believe that the concept of God is not even a useful one to be talking about. And so when we talk, start talking about prayer, we mostly get stuck at the question, 
to whom are you praying after all? And we don't agree on the answer to that question. So today, I would like us to try on the concept that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to whom. It doesn't matter if there's a whom to whom we are praying. It doesn't matter if God is a supernatural being sitting in the clouds and listening to us. It doesn't matter if what we call God is a force within nature that breathes in and out of each of us. It doesn't matter if God is a human creation only in the minds of some. It doesn't matter because prayer still works. Now, some of you are leaping to studies, scientific studies about prayer, and really that's not what I'm talking about. Those studies get headlines because they seem to fly in the face of what we had assumed was scientific thought and reason. People have studied ad nauseum the the effects of prayer, um, whether people get better if they're being prayed for, whether they get better if they don't know that they're being prayed for. They do double-blind research studies. And as a former scientist, I appreciate that people want to do those studies, but the results are controversial at best. And... I think it's a poor method for evaluating prayer in particular. I believe that if something works in a certain way, that we don't always need to have a double-blind research study proving it. One can look at studies on placebo pills, for example, as one example. Sugar pills don't actually cure anything except for maybe low blood sugar. But it has been shown that in certain situations, giving someone a pill and telling them it will cure them helps with a disease. It changes something inside of a person, and it works in some way. Surely it's not the active ingredients in those pills that work, and no scientist would ever claim that it is. But prayer also works if we are willing to let it work. Prayer changes us from within and perhaps from without, but only if we are open to the possibility of change. It has been scientifically shown that prayer, when done by someone who believes in it, changes both the brain and the body in significant ways, regardless of theology. Buddhist monks in meditation and Catholic nuns deep in prayer activate the same centers in their brain. It has been shown in functional MRI study after study. Something is being activated to work in a different way. And when our brain is activated, it does things around us. My first ministerial mentor, Arvid Straubi, writes, the fact is that prayer is the most simple, natural thing in the world. The only problem with prayer, he says, is to take away all of the attitudes and preconceptions that keep us from it. I've come to think, he writes, that prayer is simply being in touch with the most honest, deepest desires of the heart, in quiet, and in as much trust as we can muster with as much honesty as we can possibly find. That's all, he says. Prayers 
pray themselves. And so I ask us this morning, what does it mean to be in touch with the most honest, with the deepest desires of the heart, in trust? It means that we are called to look inside ourselves, to listen to that still, small voice within us, to listen for what is our heart's deepest longing, to listen to what are the connections that are pulling us outside of ourselves, and to trust that those connections mean something. Trust is an important concept in prayer, I think, and it maybe is the hardest one, because trust means letting go of our need to control everything. Trust means coming to terms with the fact that we cannot control everything. Trust, in and of itself, is a deep spiritual practice. My old friend Bob Science Kessler, who I knew when I was trying to decide whether I was going to leave the world of science and go into this unknown world of ministry that was pulling the deepest parts of my heart toward it, described his own practice of trust. He described it as falling naked on the universe and trusting it will catch me. Bob described this, this experience of, that he had of, of trusting that, that still small voice within, that deepest yearning of his heart was leading him toward something good, that it was leading him toward something possible. He described this, this practice that he had of, of the deepest trust that he knew, releasing himself to that yearning, releasing himself to that voice and following it, even if it was scary to do so. It is no accident that one of the best-known prayers in the world asks us to trust. The prayer to which I refer is often known as the serenity prayer. It's commonly attributed to theologian Reinhold Niebuhr, but um, we think that it might date as far back as the 5th century A.D. However far back it dates for centuries and centuries, people have asked for the serenity to know the things that they cannot change to deal with those things, to to trust that they could, in fact, deal with them, to to know those things they can and have the courage to change them and to be wise enough to be able to tell the difference. People have prayed some version of that, some request, request for trust in the universe for centuries. It's no doubt, no no accident, that that is one of the best-known prayers in the world. And so we're asked, what does it mean to be in touch with the most honest, deepest desires of our heart and to have trust in those most honest, deepest desires of our heart? If that is indeed what prayer is, then we are asked to be in touch with them. And there are three things that I'd like to suggest as a way of entering into prayer in your life whatever your theology is. Gratitude, healing, and connection are those three things. And so I'd like us for a moment to listen to the still small voice within us 
And I'd like us to each think of those things that we are most grateful for in our lives, whatever those things are in your lives. I am grateful for a community in which I can serve out my calling. I am grateful for babies that I get to interact with, for the mystery and wonder that I get to experience through their eyes. I am grateful for the carpet of hyacinths and daffodils that is filling my front yard with fragrance and color. I am grateful for the warming temperatures of spring and for the clean, fresh water that flows from the taps in my house. I am grateful for the abundance that is around me that fills my life with enough. What is it that you are most grateful for today? What are the blessings that you have come to be thankful for in your life? Bring those things to mind. Hold them in your hearts and say with me, thank you. Thank you. See, you all prayed. You didn't know you could, maybe, but that was a prayer, a prayer of gratitude. What does it do for us to express our gratitude, to focus our heads and hearts on it? It asks us to live a life of honesty and abundance. The Reverend Susan Maker Seal, my colleague in Northwest Tucson, Arizona, writes, gratitude as a spiritual practice only requires that we open ourselves to that sense of appreciation for all that surrounds us and is part of us, to walk on the earth with gratitude in every step and every breath. She writes, when we know we are part of this incredible creation and evolution, we can know that we are not alone. And in that way, the world supports us so that we can support the love, the world with our love, compassion, and strength. Gratitude asks us to connect. Gratitude asks us to understand that there are things outside of ourselves that are wonderful, that are helping us live the fullest life we can. Gratitude is a prayer. We also pray in many ways for healing. This might be a little more controversial to some of us here, but we pray for our own healing, for the healing of our own brokenness, for the healing of our own wounds. We pray for the healing of others, those that we care for deeply who are in pain. I ask us to hold someone in your hearts, someone that you know is in need of healing, of wholeness. Maybe it's you. Maybe you've come to this room, to this worship space today in deep pain, and you need to think about how you will move forward with your own healing. Maybe it's someone else you know that you love, someone from this community, someone from your life, someone that you might not have thought of for a long time, but who you know is hurting. And I want you to to hold them in your hearts for a moment. There are many people I am holding in my heart, people in this community like Erica and Lori, who I know are recovering from surgery, who are dealing with pain, who are getting better every day. 
people like my friend Renee and her son Reese, who was a teenager in the program that I used to run. I found out on Friday that Reese was critically injured when a bomb exploded in Afghanistan on Friday, and Renee wrote to me to ask me to keep him in my prayers. And so he is in my heart, and his healing is my most deep desire on this day. Think about those you know who are in need of healing and send your love outward to them today. That is a prayer. We can disagree on whether sending that love outward will actually result in some forces of the universe intervening in that healing, but I believe that we are all connected in ways that we don't understand. Even if you don't believe that, holding in your hearts and minds those who need healing reminds us that healing is possible. It reminds us when we are hurting and in need of that ourself, that other people will be thinking of us as well. It reminds us to cultivate those relationships with people who would think of us in that way. And in doing so, it changes us from within to pray for another person's healing or even to pray for healing of the wounds within ourselves. Connection is also a form of prayer. I tend to, in my own prayer life, spend a lot of time thinking about those to whom I am connected in some way, those relationships I have that need to be tended in my life. I don't judge the relationships. I don't beat myself up for not calling people, for not reaching out. I just think about those relationships and how important they are to me. Arvid Straubi, the minister mentor that I mentioned earlier, is a minister of our congregation in San Diego, and he has a practice in his ministry of going through the directory of the congregation that he serves and praying for each person in that directory in turn over the course of a church year. He starts at A and works his way all the way through to Z between September and June and holds each person in his mind, in his thoughts, in his heart, in his prayer for a moment or two as the course of the year goes on. He does this to remind himself of the connection that he has with each of the people that he serves in the religious community that he is minister to, to remind himself of the awesome responsibility that he has in each of their lives to speak the truth as he knows it to them, to help them in their spiritual journey, to meet them wherever they are. It is an awesome responsibility that he holds. And in looking at the directory of his religious community and looking at those names and thinking about those people, he changes himself by reminding himself of the connection that he has with those people and the responsibility that comes from that connection. The impulse to relationship is an important prayer that we can each say every day. That impulse to relationship has been captured 
through the ages by many, and I would like to share one such way in which that impulse was captured in the 13th century by Jalaluddin Rumi, a mystic poet of Persia, who writes in his poet, Love Dogs, this. One night a man was crying, Allah, Allah. His lips grew sweet with praising until a cynic said, So, I've heard you calling, but have you ever gotten any response? The man had no answer to that. He quit praying and he fell into a confused sleep. He dreamed he saw Kitter, the guide of souls in a thick green foliage. Why did you stop praising? Because I've never heard anything back. The longing, this longing you express, is the return message. The grief you cry out from draws you toward union. Your pure sadness that wants help is the secret cup. Listen for the moan of a dog for its master. That whining is the connection. There are love dogs no one knows the name of. Give your life to be one of them. The words of Rumi. And so I come back to Arvid Straubi's words when he said, I've come to think that prayer is simply being in touch with the most honest, deepest desires of the heart, in quiet, in as much trust as we can muster, with as much honesty as we can possibly find. And I leave you with the thought that prayer does not ask us to believe in God. It does not ask us to believe in a certain kind of God, even. It does not require us to have any particular theology. It merely requires us to be open to change, to be open to hearing the still, small voice within us. Prayer asks us to understand that there is something greater than we are in the universe. It may not be something supernatural. It may not be even something spiritual, but it is. Prayer asks us to encounter that which is greater than we are with an attitude of trust. It asks us to open our hearts, to open our minds, to open our souls, to be in the midst of the Spirit as if in a swiftly flowing river. It asks us to connect with all that is around us and in doing so to change ourselves and then to accept that such change might not end with you. Can you let yourself pray? Better yet, can you keep yourself from it? Blessed be.